Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. I want to tell you about the two gentlemen that you see on the screen. On your left is Stanley Praneth. I hope I said his name right. On your right is Brian Clark. Their lives were intrinsically connected for the rest of their days by a shared experience on September 11th, 2001. After the first plane struck the North Tower, Stanley and a bunch of his co-workers began to evacuate the South Tower, and they got to a certain level, and the security guard said, and I'm kind of telling the story the way Stanley tells it, the building is secure, go back to your jobs, go back to your offices, everything is fine. Stanley says, uh, I stepped back into the elevator with other people, and not a word was said. I never realized I would never see these people again. He went back to his office and his phone was ringing. It was a woman that he knew in Chicago. Stanley answered the phone and she said, Stanley, get out, get out now. And as he was on the phone, he says, the next thing I know, I just happened to stand up holding on to the phone and here comes United Airlines flight 175 right at me. The plane entered the building about one floor above where Stanley was. He says, all I remember is saying, Lord, I can't do this. You take over. And he dove under his desk. He continues, that's all I remember seeing. I'm surrounded by flames. It looks like someone took a giant bag of cement and threw it into the air and I can't breathe. I started to scream, Lord, I don't want to die. Send somebody. At the other end of the floor, someone had a flashlight shining it over his head. Stanley crawled to the other side of the 81st floor, but a sheetrock wall was standing in his way. Eventually, he was able to break through a little bit of that wall, and there was a man on the other side who was telling him to keep tapping on the wall. I'll find you. His name was Brian Clark. Finally, a hand was extended to Stanley. Stanley took hold of it, and Brian pulled so hard, and Stanley pushed so hard, that the two of them came through the wall and rolled down half a flight of stairs. Stanley hugged Brian, gave him a kiss, and Brian looked at him and said, hi, I'm Brian. Come on, buddy. Let's go home. And Stanley says, I know that without a doubt, I wouldn't be here if Brian hadn't stretched out his hand that day. Here's a question. What if Brian didn't stretch out his hand that day? What if Stanley didn't take hold of that outstretched hand? How was Stanley's life affected because he took hold of the hand of a person who was willing to deliver him on September 11th? Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines deliverance as, quote, release from captivity or slavery 
freedom, liberty. What was Stanley delivered from? What was he delivered to? And this question is applicable as we continue the story of Joseph and his family and his relationship with the nation of Egypt. Today, from the text we're going to consider, we will see a timeless truth. It says, to be delivered, we must embrace the deliverer. We're going to look at two separate groups of people this morning in Genesis chapter 47. Two groups who embrace the deliverance God offers them through a man named Joseph. And as we do, keep in the back of your mind that we're getting a clear picture of another deliverer and consider what that means to us. A passage from last week's sermon in chapter 46, which Pastor Dave preached, God is speaking to Jacob and he's reminding Jacob that he's going to keep his promise. He said, I am the God, the God, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go to Egypt for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Later in that same chapter, we're told that Jacob meets Joseph for the very first time in many years. At the end of Genesis 46, it says Joseph prepared his chariot, went up to meet Israel, that's Jacob, his father in Goshen. He presented himself and fell on his neck and wept on his neck for a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Do you notice Jacob's fixation with death? How many times he said, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. It's like, lighten up. You haven't seen this guy in 20 years, you talk about dying. That's a side note. So as Genesis 46 ends, and as we come into chapter 47, what we see are Joseph's instructions to his family to prepare them to interact with the king. And in this way, Joseph is functioning as a mediator and a coach between his family and Pharaoh. So Joseph, at the very end of 46, tells his brothers, I will go up. I'm sure, I'm sure you're all following along, right? You have it memorized? I'm at the end of Genesis 46. It's right before chapter 47. (laughs) I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. This is part of Joseph's coaching of his family. Joseph does this because his brothers would not know how to properly speak with the king. Joseph knows Pharaoh very, very well. And he knows what's important to Pharaoh. He knows what the king would want to learn from his brothers. He also knows how to communicate what needs to be said to Pharaoh in such a way that It would be truthful, and it would be insightful. And finally, Joseph knew how to convince Pharaoh of his desire, Joseph's desire, that the family live in Goshen. And all of this demonstrates great skill and wisdom on Joseph's part. So now we pick up the drama in chapter 47. 
coaching his family that Pharaoh would ask their occupation and encouraging them to tell the king that they were shepherds, positions Pharaoh to do exactly what Joseph is hoping he'll do and put his family in Goshen, separating them from the Egyptians. We pick it up in Genesis 47. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. So far, everything's going just the way Joseph planned. Having coached his family, Joseph then continues the role of mediator by going back to Pharaoh. And see what he does? He goes back to Pharaoh. And he tells Pharaoh, my family's here and they're in Goshen. He skillfully follows the king's previous instructions and allows Pharaoh to come to his own conclusion about where it would be best for the family to dwell. Do you see Joseph's skill and wisdom and ability to navigate a, 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 a tricky situation? So as the deliverer of his family, Joseph acts as a wise mediator between them and the king, a mediator between his family and the king, a mediator. Does that remind you of someone? Now, in that time, it was common to act for the king to ask people what their job was. Joseph already told Pharaoh that his family was shepherds. And the brothers do just as Joseph instructed. And that shows Pharaoh that these men are honest. Honest to the point of admitting that they hold a job that was really looked down upon in that culture. The brothers also follow Joseph's instructions by addressing themselves to the king as your servants. And that demonstrates the appropriate humility one should have when one is addressing Pharaoh. Brothers tell Pharaoh that they have come to sojourn, to travel temporarily in the land. It means to dwell in a place for an uncertain amount of time. You, you, you know what this life is, right, gang? It's just a sojourn. There's no intention on the part of Joseph's family that Egypt would be their permanent dwelling. Why? Because God's already promised them a place, the land of Canaan, Therefore, they knew that their going back to Canaan wasn't a question of if. It was just a question of when. The brothers engage Pharaoh just as their deliverer instructs. So we continue. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Everything Joseph was seeking to accomplish as a mediator is successful. Pharaoh repeats what he said earlier about giving Joseph's family the best of the land. If you've been tracking with our series, you know you heard that already. He embraces Pharaoh does their occupation as shepherds and goes beyond allowing them just to shepherd any old livestock. He puts them in charge of good morning. His livestock. 
I'll let you take care of my animals, my sheep. When you think about it, that job's not that bad. <laughs> oh, good, you're there. Just checking. Pastor Ken would have loved that one. Do you see the grace that's being bestowed on the people by Pharaoh? Don't forget, this is a Gentile king. God has demonstrated what he can do through the deliverer he provides by the nature of the interaction between Pharaoh and Joseph's family. The kindness and grace that Pharaoh extends to the family shows the depth of Pharaoh's relationship with Joseph. He does it for Joseph's sake. So as with Jesus, the king extends grace to those who are associated with their mediator. Do you see the pictures? So what happens next? Joe introduces Pharaoh to dad. I always used to love that when my kids were younger, like we would go to visit them at Liberty University and, you know, they go up to a friend and they go, this is my dad. Verse seven, then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of your life? Um, and Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. In other words, I haven't lived as long as my ancestors have, and I'm probably not going to. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. The very first thing that the patriarch Jacob does with this Gentile king is he blesses him. And he doesn't just bless him once. He blesses him twice in verse 7 and then again in verse 10. Seniors were very important in the Egyptian culture. Did you know that? Older people. Therefore, Pharaoh asks Jacob, how old are you? You know you're getting older when people ask you your age instead of your occupation. So, yeah. So, so Jacob, Jacob's answer is kind of surprising because he's kind of saying, well, you know, I haven't lived that long. It's 130 years old. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be around at 130. I look bad now. Be quiet. But why, why did he say that his life is relatively short? Well, he's comparing it to his grandfather Abraham, who lived to be 175, oi, and Isaac, his dad, who lived to be 180. Jacob would die at the age of 147. And he says that those years were filled with great difficulty. And if you know anything about Jacob's life, and we did a series on Jacob some years ago, a lot of the stuff that was a challenge in Jacob's life was really brought on by his own self-centeredness, his own agendas. But that's why he says to Pharaoh what he says. So then, in verse 11, it says that Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father 
his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to their number of dependents. So after the audience with the king, Joseph brings his family into their temporary inheritance, as it were. They now have a possession in the land. They are not of Egypt, but they are sojourners in Egypt. Just as a follower of Jesus is in the world, but not of the world. And he provides them what they need, which is food. Joseph has, in fact, delivered his family. And the question we need to answer is, well, what did he deliver them from? Well, obviously, from death by starvation. And the outcome, uh, that outcome is, it was a certainty. It was just a matter of time. But the other question is, what did he deliver them to? What difference did Joseph's extended hand make in the lives of his family and their descendants? By taking hold of their deliverer, Joseph, the nation of Israel, as it existed at that time, some 70 or so people, had the physical materials they needed to live and a quality of life that they never could have dreamed possible. This is profoundly significant because it, is, it, 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 it means the preservation and the prosperity of the nation of Israel. And that's important because it's God's way of keeping his promise. Because one day, who will come from this line? Messiah Jesus. Now, what if the brothers had a different kind of attitude? What if their attitude was like, we're not going to humble ourselves. Do you remember those stupid dreams? No way. I'll stop starve before I bow before him. What would have happened? What could they have done about their situation? Nothing. And so just as the salvation that God offers us in Christ was for the Jew first, so God uses Joseph to deliver his people first so that the promise that God made would be fulfilled in God's time. Deliverance for Joseph's family happened only for one reason. They embraced the deliverer. And so that has a point of application for us, gang, because maybe your heart gets burdened for your family. Here's good news. There is a deliverer for our families. That's the first thing we can take from what we see in this text. Now let's go to the other group, and that's the nation of Egypt. The second proof that in order to be delivered, one must embrace the deliverer is Joseph's action on behalf of the community he is in. Verse 13, now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Joseph begins to administer the transactions whereby the people could purchase grain and collected the money and brought it to Pharaoh's home. 
And this demonstrates how trustworthy Joseph is. Nowhere in the text does it suggest that Pharaoh kept an eye on him or there was somebody keeping an eye on him. Joseph's integrity was not questioned at all. He was solely responsible for managing the money that came in and bringing it to the king. Let's go on. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt, the Egyptians, and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is gone. And Joseph answered, give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock. Now, Moses is the one who records the story, in case you didn't know that. And Moses' record of the events seemed to cover a three-year period. So this last passage we just saw is probably about a year after the first one, meaning they came and said, you know, hey, we'll buy food from you, and Joseph manages the money. Well, now the money's gone. A year or so goes by, and now they're like, now what do we do? All the money's gone. Here's plan B, livestock. In the second year, Joseph engages a whole other kind of transaction for the people who have no money. Now, that might seem strange to us, but in that culture, this would have been common. It would have been an acceptable uh, transaction and not really seen as any kind of corruption or attempt to take advantage of people in a difficult situation. In other words, we didn't just give away freebies. (laughs) Then the following year, The people come to Joseph again. We'll pick it up in verse 19. Buy us and our land for food. And with our land, we will be servants to Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh and for all the Egyptians sold their fields because of the famine was severe. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on that allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. What's going on here? Well, it's about another year uh, goes by. It's probably about the third year into this thing. And now the people offer their land and they offer themselves for grain. It is not Joseph who enslaves them, or presses them into some kind of indentured labor, they offer themselves to their deliverer. Does that sound like anything familiar? Buy us and our land for food. So Joseph simply does as the people request, and it results in their lives being sustained. You know, when people are faced with a situation grave enough, they'll do whatever they have to do to have the deliverance from the effects of that situation? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Who said that? A thief on a cross. He was in a dire strait, wasn't he? And that requires a kind of humility because people have to recognize the severity of their situation and the fact that there's nothing that they can what? Do about it. Joseph treats, interestingly, the Egyptian priests differently because the king supports them. Even in a pagan culture, there was deference to those who provided spiritual services or guidance. 
But Joseph's actions reveal the fact that the deliverer sets the terms whereby deliverance is embraced. Did you catch that? It's that dangerous part of the sermon now. You know, the coffee's wearing off. The deliverer sets the terms for the deliverance. We have to remember, he's God, I'm not. You know what would happen if you all got God to do things the way you all want God to do things? You know what we'd have? Chaos. We all tend to want God to operate as we think he should. But we have to remember, he is God. And you know what's wonderful? Not only is he God, he is good. He gets to set the rules, not out of a heart of anything other than grace and love and commitment to people who trust him. You always have to remember his character. So Joseph sets all of this up, and then he speaks to the people in verse 23. He says, at the harvest, you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths should be your own. And they said, you have saved our lives. May it please, my Lord, we will be servants of Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute, a law, concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day, meaning the time at which Moses wrote it, that Pharaoh should have a fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Over the course of years, the people recognized that Joseph's wisdom, integrity, ingenuity, and leadership have provided deliverance for them from the ravages of the famine. But you know what's a little uncomfortable about this text? It tells us that there are such things as taxes that are okay with God. Because that's a tax. Let that rattle your cage for a minute, okay? But that's exactly what he does. But look at the response to the people. Thank you! That's a small price to pay for saving our lives. The entire Egyptian nation and the communities that would make it up are saved because of Joseph. God used Joseph to deliver the nation of Egypt as well as the family of Israel. Now, what if the Egyptians' response to Joseph was, who's this guy? He's not one of us. What if they did not embrace the hand of God through Joseph, which was the means of their salvation as a nation? What would have happened? Just as salvation is also for the Gentile, God offers Egypt deliverance from starvation through the person that God sent to deliver them. Joseph said it himself a few weeks ago. You didn't put me here. God sent me here. Deliverance for Joseph's community happened because they embraced their deliverer. Yes, there's a deliverance for our families. Here's something else. There's a deliverer for our community. So what happens? Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it. And they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147. Israel is not only saved from starvation, but delivered to prosperity and security. And that is the good. The good that God brought about from what his brothers intended for evil. 
And that is a theme throughout the scripture. And it is the focus of our study of Joseph's life in a series we've entitled, For Good. It's good for the people who trust him. We know that for those who love God, and uh, God works all things together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. You see, to be delivered, we must embrace the deliverer. To be delivered, shazam. We must, you feel the power? To be delivered, we must embrace the deliverer. Now, as we've been looking at Joseph's life throughout our series, it should become obvious who he is a picture of. I may be wrong, but I can't think of an Old Testament character who is more of a picture of Jesus Christ than Joseph. The more you look at him, the more you see what God did through him, the more you see the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is Christ is the only means, the only means for all the good God has for people being real in their lives. Listen to it again. And we know that for those who love God, God causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. So with an understanding of our principle that to be delivered we must embrace the deliverer, let's look at how Joseph is a picture of Jesus. Let's look at the deliverance that we can have in the great deliverer. First of all, he delivers people from sin and death. Now that is imperative for all of us because we all sin. No one is perfect. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because that is true, there is a penalty. The wages of sin is death. And so by means of his finished work, the Lord Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ offers to people deliverance from the penalty of sin. To every person. No one is beyond that reach. If you're here this morning and you are not certain that you have ever received from Christ's hand the deliverance from the penalty of sin, which is death, don't leave the room until you talk to me, myself or Pastor Dave, Pastor Brian, okay? One of our elders, Chris Yax, is here, Okay? Christ offers the, the person who does not have a relationship with God deliverance from the penalty of sin, which is death. The wages of sin is death. I call that our John 3.16 moment. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him, depends on him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Every Christian has had a John 3.16 moment. When we make a choice. And Romans says it this way, we were enemies of God, but we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Jesus provides deliverance from the penalty of sin. But to those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, I have a question. What deliverance is truly ours that we are not embracing? 
Is it deliverance from a substance? Pornography? The damage of the past? The pressures of the present? The stupidity we see happening in our culture? Yes! We need deliverance from all that. You know why? Because all of that doesn't come from God. And whatever doesn't come from God is sin, no matter how good it looks. If you've been at Bayside for any length of time, you should know that we make as clear as we know how that more happened at the cross than just Jesus providing the penalty or the, the, the cure for the penalty of our sin. The Apostle Paul says it this way. We were buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin would be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. This speaks not of what Christ did for us, but speaks of what happened with us because God has brought us into union with Christ in his death. I have been crucified with Christ. And that's the key to deliverance. And in addition to that, I can live a life of freedom in Christ. Because when Christ rose from the dead, guess what happened? A new Joe Feraldi rose with him. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. The only question is, do I live like the old that isn't or the new that is? I've been raised with Christ. That's why we say Jesus Christ gave his life for you in order to give his life to you that he might, because that depends on your choice, live that life through you as you. That's a life of freedom. It's a deliverance from the bondage of self-centered living based on me. I cannot deliver myself from addiction, but Christ already has. I just need to embrace him. A friend of mine used to say it this way. He's been sober now for 29 years. I said, why don't you, why don't, you know, how do you, what do you attribute your sobriety to? He goes, simple. The Jesus in me doesn't need another drink. I cannot undo the effects of sin committed against me or by me, but Jesus already has. I just need to embrace him for the healing and peace that he is. I cannot solve the problems I see in the news, but he will in his time. I cannot live the life I am meant to live, but he will through me when I depend on him to do it. Jesus provides deliverance from the power of sin to every believer. It's up to us as to whether or not we walk in that freedom. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we are a freed people, a delivered people. We've been delivered from the power of sin. Whether we live in that God-given freedom is a matter of our choice to embrace our deliverer. We trusted him for what he did. We can trust him for who he is. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved, delivered by his life. Delivered from what? Everything we need deliverance from. You and I can know a life of freedom when we, when we embrace Christ for who he is. So whether it was Stanley on 9-11, the brothers and the people of Egypt in Joseph's day, the person who's never come to trust in Christ or we who have, there is one fact that can be easily missed in all of this. And in every case, you know what is absolutely the essential ingredient? It's humility. 
It's the realization of my inability, which means I can't. One of the most liberating things to get to is what I can't do. I can't do anything about the stuff that I see on the news. But I can rest in the one who can. And that drives us to embrace the deliverance that God offers in the living Christ. To be delivered, we must embrace the deliverer. Stanley was delivered on 9-11 from Brian, by Brian Clark. The family of Israel and the community of Egypt were delivered from starvation by Joseph. Jesus has delivered the, us from the penalty and the power of sin. What we do with our deliverance depends on what we do with our deliverer every day. Therefore, we have a choice. I either rest in him, who he is, what he provides, or I don't. Enjoy your deliverance by depending on your deliverer. Father, I thank you for the gospel. And it just amazes me how the truths of it are illustrated in a passage all the way back in Genesis. Lord, I pray for every one of us. Every one of us has aspects of our lives where the freedom and deliverance that you provide for us is not embraced. Forgive us for that. Forgive me for knowing this stuff and so easily forgetting it when the right buttons get pushed. Father, whatever you want to do in us by the truths that Joseph's life and ministry illustrate, by the reality of what you were brought about in Christ, have your way. Show us what we need to die to, a death that really has already happened with Christ. Show us what you want us to embrace as those raised with Christ, that we might, to the full, live in a manner that is consistent with that walk of newness of life. You're a good God that you make such a thing possible. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.